godliness. You know, when you, when you think of, of, of a godly person, you think of somebody maybe away up in a mountain by themselves or, or maybe in, in a covenant, covenant somewhere where they are, are isolated from the world. But godliness is really a beautiful thing. Matter of fact, the Bible says uh, godly with, godliness with contentment is great gain in uh, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Beautiful, beautiful uh, a promise that one of the things that we should aspire to in our Christian life is godliness. Now, godliness does not mean perfection. If that meant perfection, none of us could ever aspire to godliness. None of us could ever hope because none of us will ever be perfect in this life. But godliness means a respect for God that affects the way a person lives. In other words, uh, as we devote ourselves to God and we begin to focus upon God, we begin to study about God, we begin to pray to God, we begin to walk with God, something begins to happen to us. It begins to transform us. As we spend more and more time in God's presence, as we think more and more about God, we become a godly person, and that's what godliness is. I don't know if you remember the story in the Old Testament when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the commandments, and you remember that his, his whole uh, uh, demeanor was changed, his whole face was changed to a glow, a, a bright, shining glow, so much so that he had to cover his face. He had been in the presence of God, and, and God had so changed and transformed him, he literally glowed as he came down off the mountain. Now, I'm not, I'm not challenging you to become a glowing person at all, but what I am saying is you cannot spend time in the presence of God without it having an impact upon your life. And that is what our goal should be as Christians, is we want to become more godlike, we want to become more godly, and we want to be dedicated to the Lord. Why? Because that is God's goal for us. He wants us to become more and more like His Son Christ, and he wants us to excel in this area of godliness. Now, Mary, I think, is a model of godliness. Now, stop and think about it. Our granddaughter, I think, our youngest granddaughter is 15, I think. Is that right? 15? Is she 15? 16? Our, our youngest granddaughter is 16 years old. And most people believe Mary was probably in the range from 13 to maybe 15, 16 years old when she heard the call from God to become the mother of Jesus. Now, if you have a grandchild that age, that blows my mind. I cannot imagine an angel appearing to our youngest granddaughter saying, you are now going to have a child, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. I mean, I, I can't fathom that happening to my granddaughter, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have a granddaughter or a child who's that age, and you say, I cannot imagine God coming with that announcement to that, that age child. So when we look at Mary, she is just a great example, a great model of godliness. We see in her the fear of God. We see in her the love of God. We see in her a desire for God. And what an amazing young lady she was. And she was chosen by God before the foundation of the world to, to be the mother of Jesus. And Mary typify godliness in so many ways. So we want to break that down this morning real quickly. We want to see, first of all, that Mary heard a call of God. Mary heard the call of God. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 28, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled that she didn't understand saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this would be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And the angel would go on to tell her that she was going to be the mother of the Christ child. She was going to be the mother of Jesus. Now, Jesus, when he was on earth, told his disciples in John 15 and verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Some people have the mistaken idea that I just kind of volunteer in God's army and then God uses me. But every person, every person here who has trusted Christ, every person here who is born again, at some point in your life, you have heard a call from God. The Holy Spirit has moved in your heart the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that you are a sinner and you are in need of salvation. Your eyes have been opened and, and you see that you need salvation. It's kind of like that, the story we talked about a few weeks ago, the Christmas carol. You remember that morning when Scrooge woke up and suddenly he was transformed and he was absolutely changed? Well, that happened to you when you received a call from God. The Bible tells us that no man can come to Christ unless the Spirit of God draws him to Christ. And that's the same with Mary. Mary now receives this wonderful call. Listen to this introduction from a Bible study called the Life Guide Bible Study. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is one of the most intriguing people to fill the pages of Scripture. She is also one of the most neglected and misunderstood. Some Christians revere Mary deeply, but know very little about what the Bible says about her. Other Christians, perhaps in reaction to those who exalt Mary too highly, almost ignore her. For many of us, Mary has become little more than a plastic figure in our Christmas nativity scenes. After the holiday season, she is dusted off and put away for another year. The biblical record presents Mary as a woman of extraordinary character. She was humble and obedient to God and yet was a woman of incredible strength. She loved the Lord God of Israel with all of her heart and mind, and she learned, it was like, she learned what it was like to trust him completely. Mary was graced by God above all, all other women. She was a channel through which God the Son became human. But Mary was used of God on a much larger canvas than the stable of Bethlehem. Mary nurtured and trained Jesus through the years of his childhood and adolescence. She worried about a son she thought was working too hard against too much opposition. She stood at the cross watching her own child die a torturous death. In fact, Mary was the only human being present at both the birth and death of Jesus. The privilege she was given by God's grace carried a very heavy price. So she heard the call of God. And notice, secondly, her response to that call of God. Mary humbled herself. Look in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is absolutely an amazing statement in the Bible because Mary now is going to humble herself. And don't kid yourself. Mary knew what this encompassed. Mary knew that in her community, she would be misunderstood. Here is a young lady who was engaged but not the marriage had not been finalized yet. And, and because she would be with child, she would be ridiculed. 
She'd be criticized. She would be made fun of. And Mary also knew that in the Old Testament law, if Joseph had not decided to protect her, she could have literally been stoned to death, according to the book of Deuteronomy. Mary understood that she would be ostracized. She understood that she would be an outcast among her own people. She knew that people would not understand. Even if she told them, an angel appeared and told me this is going to happen, Mary would suffer severely because of this. And she knew all of this, and she still said, nevertheless, here am I. Let it be according to your word. Mary was of such a character, she was so godly, that she was willing to even suffer for God's will. She was willing to suffer for God to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in her life. So Mary heard the call of God. Mary humbled herself. And Mary displayed wisdom. Now, notice something unusual here in the Bible. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. After Mary heard this word and the angel told her that Elizabeth a relative was going to have a baby in her old age and notice what the Bible says after Mary's heard all of this she knows this is going to happen the Bible says in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1 in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth now sometimes when we read scripture we kind of run over things and I want you to notice this phrase in uh, verse 39. That the, the Bible says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste. Now, why does the Bible include that? Why does Luke include that phrase? Why does he put that qualifier in there? Why does he want to tell us that Mary went with haste? There was an urgency about her. There was something that, that drove her to go find her relative Elizabeth. Why was it? I think it was because God had given this young teenage girl an unbelievable amount of wisdom. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. So Mary is processing all of this. She's praying about it. She's seeking God's direction. And then, then because of her spiritual wisdom, she says, okay, my relative Elizabeth is getting ready to give birth to a child. It's a miracle because she's having a baby in her old age. And you could read about that in the Gospel of Luke. And she said, if there's anybody who could understand my situation, if there's anyone who could guide me in this, if there's anyone who could help me through this, it would be Elizabeth. So she decides, and very wisely, when you're in a difficult situation, one of the first things that the book of Proverbs tells us is when you're facing a problem or difficulty in life, one of the wisest things you can do is to go seek godly counsel. To find somebody who knows God, somebody who loves God, somebody who has exhibited wisdom. And that's exactly what Mary does. Mary rushes to Elizabeth and asks Elizabeth, you know, how should I handle this? How should I go with it, through this? And she spends months with Elizabeth learning from this godly woman, getting instruction, getting encouragement, getting pray, prayer. So Mary displayed a wonderful amount of wisdom and going to be with Elizabeth. Then number four, notice that Mary saturated herself with Scripture. Sometimes we forget in, in, when we study the Bible that not only uh, young boys were taught Scripture, but young girls were already taught, also taught Scripture in Jewish homes. All children in Jewish homes. In Deuteronomy, it says that the parents were to teach the, the children uh, the Scripture in the morning when they got up, 
in the afternoon, uh, when they sat down to eat, coming in and going out of the house, at the evening when they lie down. The, the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 that, that the parent is supposed to teach that child scripture throughout the day. So the amazing thing is when the angel announces to Mary that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, Mary responds with one of the most famous songs in all the world. And notice what she says in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now the thing that strikes me about this song is it is so packed with Scripture. When Mary responds to the call of God and she, she goes to the house of Elizabeth, and we talked about this last week. Remember how the baby jumped in, in Elizabeth's womb when, when Mary walked in in recognition that, that Mary was the mother of the Messiah? And listen to this comment. It is also a testimony to the fact that she knew the Bible well. The Magnificent either quotes from or alludes to verses from Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Mary tried to put virtually the whole Bible into her song. Now, do you know what that tells me about Mary? She saturated her life with the Word of God. And that's one of the reasons I think that God chose her and God called her because God knew of her spiritual character as well as her moral character. And he, he knew that Mary was an individual who didn't just talk about the Bible or give verbal allegiance to the Bible. She was somebody who studied the Bible, consumed the Bible, memorized the Bible, loved the Word of God, thought about it, read it, studied it, memorized it, quoted it. You cannot spend time in the Word of God without it having an impact upon you. The psalmist said, how can a young man cleanse his way but, but by giving heed to the Word of God? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Word of God has an amazing impact on our lives, morally, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. So Mary was somebody we can see from this, this little song Somebody who had the scripture in her life. And one of the things I think God looks for in a servant is someone who is serious about the word of God. Someone who loves the word of God, who consumes the word of God, who studies the word of God. Mary saturated herself with scripture. And notice, we're going to go to the book of Acts now. Because remember, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And the last time Mary is mentioned, ever mentioned in the Bible is found in Acts chapter 1 in verse 14. 
And notice what the Bible says Mary was doing. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. What was Mary doing? Here, she, here we find her now, uh, after Jesus Christ has been crucified and resurrected, now we find her in the book of Acts, gathered with the disciples in prayer. What else do we learn about this wonderful young lady? We learn that she was a person of prayer. She prayed, and can you imagine how she prayed when she found out she was going to give birth to the Son of God? Can you imagine how she prayed as she saw Jesus live his life, and she saw Jesus ostracized and criticized? Can you imagine how she prayed at the cross when she saw her precious son uh, being crucified? Can you imagine the prayer life that this dear precious lady had? And if we were to talk to Mary, if we could interview her now, I think something would become clear to us. Mary would not take credit herself. I believe, based on what we've seen today, her humility, her, her love of Scripture, her love of prayer, if we were to interview Mary we, and we were to ask her, say, Mary, wow, God bless you. You've become one of the most famous women in all the world. Mary would say, no, no, no. Don't give credit to me. Give credit to God. Give credit to God. Why? Because one of the evidences of godliness is humility. We recognize that any good we have is, is what God has worked into our lives. Any, anything that you need to praise in our life is not because of our own ability. It's not because of our resources. It's not because of our education, our finances, our place in society. If there's anything to praise in us, it's all because of God. Let all the glory Go to God. And that's exactly what Mary did. Mary did not want the attention to her. She did not want the praise on her. She wanted all glory and all praise to go to Jesus Christ. So what do we learn about this as far as Mary and godliness? We need to follow the example of Mary, and we need to follow the example of the farmer. Now, we've just gone through very quickly these qualities of Mary. She was called by God. Have you felt a call from God? Has God called you to salvation? Has God called you to live a Christian life? Has, call, has God called you to, to begin a life of godliness or holiness? Has God called you to, to be committed to him? Have you humbled yourself and said, yes, Lord, here I am a sinner. Save me for Christ's sake. Have you humbled yourself and said, Lord, I don't have many skills and talents, but what I do have, I give to you, I lay at your feet? Have you uh, practiced wisdom in your life? Have you gone to godly men and women and sought their advice and direction in the problems of life? One of the greatest, res one of the greatest resources you have around you are godly men and women who've walked down the road before you who have the wisdom to know God and love God and serve God. Have you taken advantage of that? Have you saturated yourself with Scripture? Have, have you fallen in love with the Word of God? And have you spent time in prayer? Now, let me read a verse to you from Philippians chapter 2. Actually, two verses. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do uh, for His good pleasure. Now, when you, when you look at these two verses, they almost seem to be contradicting each other. Of course, we know the Scripture doesn't contradict itself. So we know that's not true. But, but notice what Paul says here. 
Paul says in one statement, he says, listen, work out your own salvation. Now, I know from Paul's other teaching, he doesn't mean work to earn your salvation. Because he says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But here Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, work out your own salvation. What does he mean? He means that once you receive Christ as your Savior, once you become born again, you are just a babe in Christ. You are just beginning to grow. Because you get saved, because you get born again, doesn't mean you're immediately a perfect Christian. You are perfect before God uh, positionally. But you still have a long way to go in this world to grow in spiritual knowledge and in maturity and humility. So when Paul says, work out your own salvation, he says, take what God has done in your life, how God has implanted his nature in you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. So he says, take that salvation that God has implanted in your life and, 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 and in conjunction with God's guidance and God's direction and God's help and God's grace, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Now, here's the amazing thing to me. If I have any desire to read the Bible, it comes from God. If we were to go down on Main Street and come in and do a survey and ask people, hey, would you like to read the Bible? I, I, I bet a large majority of the people are going to look at me and say, are you crazy? I have to sit for an hour in church on Sunday morning and listen to that stuff. I don't want to listen to it again. When you have a desire for the Word of God, it comes from God. God gives you that desire. You know, you may be sitting here this morning, you may be saying, you know, the Bible is a dusty old book to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. Listen, the reason you can't understand it is because it's a spiritual book. And you have to have spiritual eyes to read it, to understand it. If you're not born again and you don't have God's Holy Spirit indwelling you, it's going to be very hard to read the Word of God. So the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, where does the farmer come in? Well, Paul tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Galatians 6, 7, do not be, see, be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. There's a great principle in Scripture that you find throughout the Bible, and that's the principle of planting, sowing, and reaping. And one of the things the Bible tells us over and over again is like a farmer, we have to plant seed, but we have to trust God to cause that seed to grow. I'm preaching the Bible right now. I'm planting seed. Maybe somebody's looking on Facebook right now. Maybe somebody's out in that hallway I can't see, like that guy sitting in his car in the parking lot. I'm planting seed, but you know what? I'm not under any delusions. Nobody's going to be saved here because Billy Price spoke this morning. No one's going to be transformed because they heard Billy Price preach. If anybody's going to be transformed, it's going to be by the power of the Word of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And God is going to take His Word, and He's going to push it into your heart, and He's going to cause it to grow, and He's going to cause it to transform you. So if, we're, if we desire to be godly like Mary, 
We have to understand that God has done something great for us. He has called us. But now we have to be obedient. What if Mary had said to God, no, I'm not going to do that. I won't have that baby. I'm not going to be criticized. I'm not going to be honest. What if Mary had said that? Of course she didn't. But what if she had? And you see, what Mary was doing and what we need to do is work out what God has worked into our lives. So I guess the big question is this morning is, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? If you are born again, if you are a Christian, then you are saying that God has changed me. I have been been what the Bible calls born again, or that term could say born from above. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of me. I have been transformed. God is now a factor, a, a force in my life. He has changed me. Now, I'm going to take that new birth. I'm going to begin to work out what God has worked into my life. You see, the farmer, when he, he has uh, certain things he can control. You know, he can prepare the ground. He can plant the seed. He can till the soil. He can get everything ready. But there's some things a farmer can't control. He can't control the weather. He can't control uh, uh, natural disasters. He can't control when there are, are uh, insects and and diseases around the ground or on the plant he can't control the condition of the soil but he can work and try to get it ready and you know there's a balance in the christian life and that simply is this you know god as paul said is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure that's god's part but our part is to work out our salvation what does that mean that means i have to open the bible and say lord please speak to me from scripture I have to pray and say, Lord, uh, you know, I I need to understand this, or there's a problem in our church, or there's a problem in my life, and Lord, I need you to guide and direct in this. And, And what you are doing is you are working out what God has worked into your life. The question is this morning, are you willing to work out the salvation that God has worked into your life? Now, get me clearly here. I'm not saying you work to earn salvation, not at all. But I'm saying that you work because you are saved and you begin to follow the example of Mary in prayer and Bible reading and in, in wisdom and humility. And who knows what God can do in your life. Would this young peasant girl ever thought in a million years that she would become the mother of the Messiah? But she was willing to be God's vessel. She was willing to be used by God. What about you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, there might be somebody here this morning that say, you know what, Pastor, I I have trusted Christ as my Savior. I have been born again. But I've got to be honest, I, I have not been working out what God has worked into my life. I haven't followed the example of Mary. I haven't been praying. I I haven't been reading Scripture. I haven't sought godly advice. But I would like to follow the example of Mary. I wonder if you could bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I wonder if there's somebody here, no one's looking around, and I'm not going to come to you, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to say a word to you. This is between you and God. I just want to pray for you. Somebody just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, 
Uh, I, I want to work out that salvation that God has already given me. I, I want to follow the example of Mary. Would you, would you pray for me, Pastor? Is there anybody like that that would slip your hand up and say, Pastor, please pray for me and just take it right back down again? I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to embarrass you. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who says, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. I, you've totally lost me. I, I don't know what you mean by born again. I don't know what you mean by becoming a Christian. I don't understand what you mean about God working something in my life. I, I don't understand that. But, but I feel God is calling me. I feel God is drawing me. Uh, would you pray for me that, that God will lead me to make the right decision, that, that if he wants me to become a believer, if he wants me to be a follower of Christ, that I, I will say yes to that and I will trust Christ as my Savior? Is there anyone like that? No, nobody's looking around. Just quietly slip your hand up and take it right back down. I just want to pray for you. Anyone like that? Right before we pray? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, 